0: image. Here's Jesus. He's got this awesome teddy bear behind him. He's like, I've got something great for you. And uh, this little girl has, has her, 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 her teddy bear, the thing that she loves. And she's just like, trust me, just let go of the thing that you have, the thing that you know, the thing that you're comfortable with, because I want to give you something far better. And it just, it, it depicts so well the, the Christian call and the Christian struggle, right? But I love it. This is what I want. I like this. This is comfortable. This is what I've known. This is what my mom gave me. This is what whatever, right? This is what I love. And yet Jesus is saying, hey, trust me. I've got something far greater. Giving this up will be worth it. It will be worth it. It poses a question of worth. Is it worth giving up uh, what I have and what I know based on the promises of God? Is it worth it? You know, and that's not just a question for faith. Is it worth it? That's a question that we ask probably hundreds of times a day in everything that you decide to do. Is it worth it to get all dressed up for this thing or that thing, right? Is it worth it to take this road? You know how you're calculating sometimes and you're like, okay, I'll be in traffic forever, it feels like, or I can take all these back roads. And it will take the same amount of time, but is it worth it to be moving the whole time or to be just standing in traffic angry and, and frustrated? You know, You're like, is it worth it? And there's different opinions about that. Is it worth the time to go here, to go and do this? Right? We have a phrase about movies or events. We say, is it worth the price of admission? Because we're calculating, this is what I have to pay or this is what I have to give up, my time, whatever. And we're trying to calculate, is it going to be worth it? You know, Elena made cookies last night. And, uh She's in this baking phase, and I'm very supportive of this new baking phase. And they were delicious cookies. But uh, out of support, you know, I was doing the dishes, and she had gone to bed, and, and you know there's the leftover cookie dough. And she, she has like the mixer and everything, and so it's on the mixer. Um, and I was like, well, I already had like four cookies, but that dough is looking really good, right? And I'm calculating, okay, is, is, how much cookie dough can I eat without feeling bad the next day? And let's just say I had a lot of cookie dough that was left over, and I still haven't decided if it's worth it or not. It was worth it in the moment, but this morning I was like, oh, uh, all that cookie dough was maybe not worth, but it, anyway, it's delicious. So we all make those calculations, right? You know, Gino and Shandrika are here, they're getting married in, in two weeks, It's is exciting, two weeks from today, but way back when, when, when Gino... Uh, saw Shandrika. he's like, is this, is this going to be worth it? Putting my heart on the line. Or Shandrika chose to, to do things God's way and to, to put herself out there. Is it worth it? And they would say, oh yeah, it's, it's, it was worth it to get to know each other. But we think this way. Is this really worth it? You know, in a more serious way, sometimes we have things in our life that we chose to do and that we look back on and we say, you know what? It really wasn't that worth it. Decisions that we made to choose ourself over someone else, to choose our own will over God's will. And we've made those decisions over time when we look back and say, if we're humble enough, wow, that that really wasn't worth it. And and I'm here because of these decisions. And so we, we deal with this, these kinds of decisions. And Jesus, he gives us a few analogies in his teaching about understanding the worth of the decisions that we make. One of them, we don't need to turn there, but is Matthew 13. He tells this parable of a man who finds a treasure, and he sells everything he has because this treasure is worth far more than, uh, than everything he had. And so Jesus is saying, I want you to see my kingdom is actually worth it, worth giving up everything. Then he's laid, that's a parable. He has a teaching that lays it on really thick. In Luke 14, he says, anyone who does not give up everything they have cannot be my disciple. That's that line where he says, it's, it's one thing to be like, oh yeah, if you want to be my disciple, you should try that. Here he puts the bar. He says, you can't be a Christian. If you're unwilling to give up everything. If you don't see following Jesus as worth it, then you can't follow Jesus. You follow that? You see what I'm saying? And so the, Jesus is like, I want you to calculate the, the, the worth and really see that following me, knowing me, is worth it. And the people in Revelation, in the time that it's written, uh, the, the Christians kind of spread out over Roman-occupied um, Judea. The people that are spread out and trying to follow Christ but are experiencing great persecution had to ask themselves the same question. Is it worth it? They weren't like, is it worth the gas price to drive over to midweek for this special thing? They were they're like, is it worth my life and being tortured to hang on to this truth? Is it worth it? And they needed to be reminded of whether or not it was worth it or not because they were being called daily to make decisions where they were saying, God is worth it because I'm making this decision for him. This sacrifice is worth it. But like the church and like all of us, we need perspective to see the worth of something. It's kind of like the equivalent of, um, what's the antique road show? You remember that that, that show? Some of you, maybe, uh, you know, you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. But basically, people would find kind of junk in their house or treasures that they thought was worth a lot. And they go and they get it appraised. And you have the guy with the little, uh, not the monocle, but the little microscope kind of thing. And he's, he's looking in, oh, this was this date and that date. And they're like, guess what? this is worth $2. Although, like, guess what? This is worth $2,000. And you, you never quite knew. I'm making it sound like a lot more of an exciting show than it actually was, <laughs> um, or is. I'm not sure if it's still on. But we kind of need that perspective. Is this really worth it? And we almost, honestly sometimes need to calculate and understand, is it worth it? We need the perspective. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was uh, hiking uh, with my friend Sean Keely Kane, who leads, you know, became a disciple here at Pitt, leads the campus ministry down at Marshall in West Virginia. We're in West Virginia hiking, and I was calculating this jump. And I was like, okay, there's a, a small chasm. I'm going to plug your ears. Uh, there's this small chasm, and I was like, okay, I can jump. I see a handhold, hand right? I can jump and grab this handhold, and I think I can make it. Now, if I fall, I probably would only like sprain my ankle or, or at worst break it or something like that. But like, is it worth it to do this really cool thing? And I'm, I'm, I literally was staring at it for about five minutes and I was like, is it worth it? And I, I said it out loud finally. Okay, I'm just trying to think, is it worth it to get to this place? And Sean, who's not, not a Heights fan or anything like that, goes, no. <laughs> and, and let me show you why. And so if I was here and the ledge I was trying to jump to was there, he goes like this. Walks over <laughs> and he stands over here. No, it's not worth it. <laughs> and he's like, you, I needed that perspective because, like, oh, this will be cool, but no. To, to get where I wanted to go, I didn't have to do all that. We need that perspective in our life to see if it's worth it. And the whole book of Revelation is one aspect of giving perspective to the disciples, to those that are holding on to say, "Hey, keep holding on." And so that's what we're going to talk about today: is is it worth it? But before we keep going, and this is all an introduction. That's not the question we are going to answer today. So it's a question I'm posing, but we're going to come up with a different question along the way. Because I think a lot of us can think this, and I I want to challenge you that this is actually not the right question to be asking. I think we all do it. Is it really worth it? But I think there's a better question for us to ask. With that, let's go ahead and pray. God, what a joy it is to dive into this very interesting and complicated book in your Word. God, you have a message for the disciples when this was written. God, when you gave this vision to John on the island of Patmos to give him clear, a clear idea of your will for his people. God, and this message is not just for them, but it is for us today. I pray we can understand and we can walk away uh, this morning with a better uh, aspect of hope and greater faith in trusting you and in our followership of you. In your Son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we'll be in Revelation chapter 4 this morning. And chapter five, we got a lot of Revelation to cover in about two months if we're going to finish on time, and uh, it's about to get a little bit bonkers. Um, I've been loving Revelation chapter one, two, and three because it's a little bit grounded. Even one, there was all these visions. Four, five, it's about to get a little bit crazy. In fact, next week, little uh, little preview, we're going to be talking about the uh, epo- the four horsemen of the apocalypse, just in time for you know Halloween, end of October kind of thing. It's going to get really interesting. Uh, but right before that, what, what has happened is, is God has uh, called John to see something. And we got to remember a few things when we look at Revelation 1. The book of Revelation is a message of hope and a message of encouragement. It's not some secret code that we need to understand the end of times and what president is Nero and what you know, all this stuff. No. All we need to do is recognize there's a message of hope that the way of the world is banging on the door of the church and saying, be like us, be like the rest of the world, give up this whole self-sacrifice thing, be like the rest of the world. And God is, is reaching out to his people and saying, don't, don't do that. Stay, stand firm, hold your ground and hang in there. And so that's the message for us today is the world is trying to bang on the door of the church in various aspects and say, be like everybody else. And we as Christians have to hold our ground and say, no, we won't give in to the way around us. So with that in mind, with those kind of ground rules for looking at Revelation, let's read chapter four together. All right. Chapter four. This is the throne room. It says, After this, after all these letters to the churches, After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit. And there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also, in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second, like an ox, the third, had the face of a man, and the fourth, was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Night and day, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Wow. There's a lot going on here. Quite the vision of hope. You guys feel encouraged yet? Just kidding. There, there's something in here, but we're looking around here. Read some of this stuff. And the temptation for all of us is to just stay at the surface level and be like, wow, God's powerful. Okay, chapter 5. Because I don't, I don't know about these wings and these eyes on, under the armpits. Of what is going on here, right? But there's something so powerful. What's happening, first of all, is God is approaching John and saying, I want to give you some perspective. And I want you to pass that perspective on to all of my people. So he says, come on up, come in through this door. And he hears a voice like a trumpet. He gets a, a glimpse of spiritual reality. And then he sees this throne and he sees the one sitting on the throne is like Jasper and Ruby. You are like, who are they? I haven't met them. But Jasper is a type of, of rock that was known for its strength. And, and a Ruby was known for its splendor. And so on the throne is the symbol of strength and splendor. It's a reference to who God is. And then this rainbow uh, is, is uh, shining off of, of emeralds and there's this whole or, or shiny like emerald excuse me but it's this aspect again all the way back if you know uh, the story of, of Noah's ark and the rainbow was a symbol of God's God's love and God's covenant of his people and so everything is pointing to God and his splendor is sitting on the throne and then we got 24 other thrones You're like, is this this a council? What's happening? There's 24 other thrones. I promise it, it will be a little bit clearer by the time you leave today. But there's all these other thrones and there's 24 elders. And those elders are wearing white robes and golden crowns. And if that wasn't enough, we also have these four creatures. One that looks, and it's not quite a lion, it says looks like a lion, looks like an ox. It looks like a man and like an eagle of some sort. And some scholars say maybe a a griffin or different creatures, but these, these strange beasts, these four individuals that are around the throne, and yet what are they all doing? They're praising the one on the throne. They're lifting him up. They're saying, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come. And so they are worshiping. And then these creatures have six wings and they've got eyes everywhere. I don't know what that looks like. I try not to think too much about what that looks like. But uh, there's there's something to that. Again, that'll make a little bit more sense. But they are praising. And then on top of that, the elders, once the, the song is going, the elders fall down. And it says that they throw down their crowns. They cast their crowns. In fact, this is where we get in the song, Holy, 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 casting down their golden crowns among the crystal sea. I forgot to mention there is this kind of chasm between God and and the others. And there's this this crystal sea or the sea that's like crystal that represents basically this is God and there's there's still a separation that's going on here. And so they're casting down their golden crowns among the crystal sea. If you remember that song in Holy, 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 that's what's happening here in this moment. And uh, the the point kind of on surface level is that uh, the elders, the creatures that represent creation all recognize that the one on the throne is worthy. That he stands before them worthy. And they, they declare that you are worthy. And the, the simple explanation here is that God is to be revered. He is worthy and deserving of our praise. We're going to take it a little bit deeper than the simple explanation, but we need chapter 5 in order to do that. You guys ready? All right, next chapter, chapter 5. So we got the throne room, and we got the scroll and the lamb in chapter 5. It says, then I saw... At the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion in the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll uh, from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seal, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God uh, persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth." Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands. And 10,000 times 10,000, they encircled the throne and the living creature and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. You see just a taste, just reading the words, a taste of the splendor of God. That God is to be revered. And if it wasn't clear, we see that he's in a position of power. But then creature after creature, and all the people on the earth, and all the angels, everyone is praising God because they see something in him that makes him worth their praise and their devotion. And for the, the Christian reading this in the first century, they see him worth, worthy of their sacrifice and their devotion. You know uh you see the scroll, so it's it's a good scroll because it's double sided you know it's not you know you write it on one page, we got to flip it over it, it is a double sided scroll there's words on both, but it's sealed up with these seven seals, and the word seven for us as we do this study, the word seven is the the word for uh completion or perfection in the Bible because God completed. Uh, uh, finishing uh, creation in seven days, which is fascinating because he rested on the seventh day, but that was part of the completion process, which is a whole nother story on rest, which is really cool, but we're not talking about that today. But seven is all about perfection and completion. And so it is perfectly sealed up. And so there's a taste. Okay, what does the scroll say? It has some sort of message for us. And then John starts weeping because no one is worthy of opening these scrolls. And a a scroll or breaking a seal was important because uh, it was basically sealed. If if a king wrote a letter or had a scroll, he would seal it with his signet ring that had his initials in the wax. And he would seal it. And only the person that was supposed to receive it can open it. No one else, only the worthy recipient can open it. And no one is worthy of this message. And so he's weeping. He's like, I want to know. Don't give me just a taste of your glory and your splendor and not give me the message that's inside. I want the real deal. I just don't want to know you're great. I want, I want to be called to action. I want to know what I'm supposed to do. Break open that scroll. And then he hears a voice and he's comforting. He says, hey, don't worry. The angel tells him the lion can open that. And he's not talking about the creature lion, by the way, but he's like the lion of Judah, which we just sang last week, hail, hail, lion of Judah, which is in the lineage of God's creation of, and uh, God's people and God's Jewish line, the, the tribe of Judah, of the worship of God, which is just insane. Think about that next time you say, dear God. That's the incense. But they start singing this new song. It's the song of the lamb. And then all the angels everywhere start praising. And then all the creatures everywhere start praising. And at the very end, the, the four creatures that are there put the stamp of approval and they say, amen, which means so be it. Let it be done. It's the, the word that Jesus says when he says, truly, truly, I tell you, or very truly, I tell you. He's saying, amen, amen. Basically, yes, this is reality. This is the perspective you need. It, this So be it. This is what it is. Okay. So Jesus is the lamb, but he's, uh, uh, excuse me, he's the lion, but he, he is the lion by becoming the lamb, the slain lamb. Victory is found in his blood. We sing a song about this. There's power in the blood. This is a message of sacrifice and saying that the sacrifice of Jesus is worth it. And this the whole message of these two chapters is screaming at all of us, he is worthy. I would love to say I planned this, but it's right there. <laughs> he is worthy. That's the reality. And so the question is not is it worth it? It's do I see him as worthy? Because if it's is it worth it? There are some days we can say, Oh yeah. And there are other days, or maybe a lot of days we say, I'm not so sure. I just guess I guess I have to wait till heaven to see if it's worth it. Wrong question. The question is 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 he worthy to you? Do you see him as worthy? And the answer to that is whether you see him or not, he is worthy. He is worth our praise, worth our sacrifice. He is worthy. That's the question that the the, the church might have wrestled with. Is this all worth it? And there's a resounding yes in the book of Revelation. Yes, because he is worthy. Now, the background of this, as we read it, we we see these creatures, and it's hard for us to imagine some of these things. I want to give a little bit of the background and the the deeper message here in this passage. Surface level, he is worthy. Deeper message, oh, he's worthy. (laughs) That's where we're going to get to, right? So... In Rome, a little bit of Rome background, there were 24 state religions, state-sanctioned religions. Side note, Christianity, not one of those. Judaism, not one of those as well, but there's 24 religions. Each religion had a high priest that that, uh, served as an elder or a shepherd of that religion, and they served, they were basically the ambassador or imperial ambassador to Caesar. And there were 24 of them, and they would wear white robes and have golden crowns. And they would go, anytime there was a processional or anytime uh, Caesar would arrive to a location, they would go before and they would sing a song in, uh, announcing the arrival of Caesar or the leader of the day or the sign of oppression for the Christian people. Right? And so they would, they would approach 24 of them and they would, they would uh, introduce this individual. And the individual, by the way, was often represented by an animal. Different uh, emperors had different uh, animal symbols, such as? a lion, or an ox, or an eagle, and I believe it was Domitian that just had himself, right, he's like, I'm just, it's just me, I'm not, I'm awesome, you need to look at me, forget about the lions and the ox, but they would say, worship us, this is the symbol of the imperial rule over you, and guess what they would sing, as, as, the, uh, as Caesar approached, by the way, uh, most likely, if you can imagine the scene in, in Ephesus, where, where the, the biggest coliseum was if Domitian, if this was written when Domitian was here, he would have arrived by boat upon the Crystal Sea, arriving in this moment, right? And he would arrive, and all these elders would be there, and the symbols of, of the imperial rule would be there, and they would walk through, and they would say, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty who is, who was and is and is to come. And they would sing that about Caesar. And everything of this would point to Caesar. And then in the book of Revelation, the comfort to the Christians, John is saying, or God is saying, John, I'm going to take you here. And John can say to the rest of the Christians, guys, I've been to the throne room. I've heard the song. I've seen the elders. And guess what? It ain't Caesar on that throne. It's God. He is worthy Hold on just a little bit longer. Endure just a little bit. He is worthy. It's the subversion of the arrival of Caesar. It ain't Caesar on the throne. Church, for us today, it's not your 401k on that throne. It ain't your ability to control the outcomes you want on that throne. It's not that relationship you're desperate for on that throne. It's not your career or schoolwork on that throne. It ain't your kids' college aspirations on that throne. It's not your comfort, your will, your desires, or your dreams your challenges, your afflictions, your addictions, your subscriptions, your conditions, or your position on that throne. It is Jesus Christ who sits on the throne and he is worthy of our devotion and our praise and our sacrifice. Church, we can be comforted by these words too. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That is the message in these first two chapters, paving the way for the rest of the weirdness that's in all of Revelation is he is worth the sacrifice. Hang in there. Keep going. All these false gods, these false religions, these oppressive forces, they have no power when matched up against Jesus. And there's the challenge of the things that we put on the throne, but there's also the things that just feel like they are insurmountable in our life. That this feeling, this this thing against me just... I, I can't beat it. It's just this oppressive force in my life. But guess what? It doesn't have power next to Jesus. He sits on the throne and the things of this world bow down to him. What do those images do? All the, the elders, they bow down. They throw down their crown. The, the, the elders in that image, all the other religions don't hold a candle to Jesus or a lampstand to Jesus. He is worthy. How did he get so worthy though? We have to remember the lamb that was slain. His worthiness doesn't come simply from his might and his power and all this which is which is there of course. But worthy is the lamb who was slain, his self-sacrifice. Again, he saw you as worthy of his sacrifice. And he wants to call us to see him as worthy of our sacrifice as well. He is worthy. He's worthy of your faith, your sacrifice. He's worthy of being put first. He's worthy of your time, your gas money, your evangelism. He's worthy of your heart and your trust. He is worthy. I don't want to close talking about all the eyes. You thought I was going to glaze over that part, right? No pun intended. What are all the eyes on this creature? And, and even Jesus has seven eyes and this, the lamb has seven eyes. You're like, what, why are there all these eyes? And there's a, a couple theories. But I think one of the thoughts is, a call to us to consider what are you looking at what are you gazing upon and what's neat about this is that the creatures represent with all these eyes everywhere that they can see everything that's ever been and ever was and ever will be and yet what's their conclusion holy 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 is the lord god almighty you know the stuff we look at tends to distract us right uh, is, this, is this worthwhile? Is this worth my sacrifice? But we kind of say, but I want that or I want this. And we, we look in different ways. I think about myself. When I was contemplating t- yesterday and today about the worthiness of God, and it's awesome to see and be like, he's worthy, but I'm, I'm kind of like, man, I, I think in my own life, I just get str- distracted by myself, what I want, what, what's best for me. I, I'm kind of, uh, can, can have, um, it's kind of like being in the, the throne room, but there's a mirror and you're like, I could gaze upon God and His His glory and reflect on that. But how's my hair, you know? And I, I kind of am distracted by myself and what's comfortable for me and what I want or how I seem or how I come across. And, and instead of looking at His worthiness, I'm thinking about me. What is it for you? What distracts you from the worthiness of God? Maybe it's as simple as just media in your life. Maybe it's insecurity. Maybe it's uh, defeats in your life. Maybe it's feeling lonely or whatever it is, but what, what are you looking at that's not the holiness or splendor of God? For us, we can be challenged by this passage, but also comforting that all that other stuff isn't worth it. Uh, the, Caesar, he's, he's not worth looking at. It's all about Jesus. And then when we see him in all his glory and splendor like the elders, what do they do? They cast down their golden crowns. They throw the crowns down. Uh, into the sea or whatever, but they're giving up. They're saying, I'm not going to call the shots anymore. They're essentially saying what Jesus says in the garden, not my will, God, but yours be done. I just finished a uh, kind of a series of counseling that I was doing for myself. And at the end, in the workbook I was doing, it says, at the end of this, you're going to feel a little bit shorter when you measure yourself up against the wall. And it says, that's because you no longer are wearing that crown. And I was like, how dare you, sir? You know, don't, don't say that to me. But I was like, you're right. When we, when we put down that crown, things change. It's the hardest thing for a king to do is to give up his crown or to give up his throne. But when you see something worthy and worthwhile of your sacrifice, it's something we all can do in a chorus of praise and, and hallelujahs. We can throw down our crowns and say, God is worth it. So think about what's distracting you. But my challenge, I guess, for the week is praise God. <laughs> I wish I could say, okay, do this, and every morning at this time, just praise God this week, at lunch today. When you got to lunch, and you're thinking about the food, and you're, you're thinking about what you're going to order, and you want to talk, and you want to check the game, and the score, and what's going on here or there, stop for a second and consider the splendor of God. And I want you to share at lunch today with whoever you're with what's something you love about Jesus. Church, we, let's have more spiritual conversation because he's worth that. He is worthy of our devotion. And taking things, things deeper. Praise God this week. In just a moment, I'm going to have the singers come up. And we're going to sing, holy, holy, holy. And I encourage you, if you know this song, it's one of those songs you can kind of think about and, and forget about. But consider uh, these words here in Revelation 4 and 5. As we sing together, holy, holy, holy. And at the end, uh, or sorry, um, as we sing these words, at the end of the song, let's like those creatures. Let's all together say amen. Sound good? So let's stand, let's sing holy, 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 and then together we'll end it with amen.